Brilliant. Thank you. Good morning. It's great to see everyone uh, here. And uh, the, um, there, was a, there was a guy who got um, a slightly surprising present uh, off someone. Um, he was given a, a parrot. Um, this, was his, this was his parrot, a named guy called John. And this parrot had a really bad attitude. Okay? His language was terrible. Um, his, his vocabulary was rude and obnoxious. It was laced with profanity. Uh, but John, being the guy he was, tried to do everything he could to change uh, the, the attitude of this bird. And so he, he decided he'd only speak consistent, nice words, polite words. He'd play soft music to the bird uh, and all of that. He tried everything he could to try and clean up uh, this bird's uh, vocabulary. But finally, he just loses it. He absolutely lost it. He yells at this parrot. The parrot yells back at him with even worse uh, vocabulary than ever before. Uh, John picks up the parrot, he shakes it by the neck, and he flings it into the freezer. And uh, it just complete desperation. He puts in this thing. The parrot is kicking and squawking and screaming, and the, the language coming out of the freezer is, is, is even worse than ever before. But after a couple of minutes, there's suddenly this silence. And John is a bit surprised. Okay? 60 seconds go by, not a peep. Another minute goes by, nothing. John starts to panic. So he pulls open the freezer door, and the parrot is standing there petrified. And he kind of steps out, and he says to him, he says, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John is just gobsmacked. He's astounded by this. And he's just about to ask him what the, what's brought this transformation about. And the parrot just says, he said, one question. He said, um, what did the turkey do? <laughs> now, I'm not sure there's a parrot in the Beatitudes, but today we're looking at the Beatitude that says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I'm not condoning, if you've got kids or pets, uh, I'm not condoning the freezer treatment uh, at all, but uh, there's a lot about purity and righteousness in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, it's all the way through Matthew's Gospel, we read of it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Um, later on, uh, Jesus says this, is where I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses uh, that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And uh, at the end of uh, chapter six, he says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Um, and all these things will be given to you. But, but why does it sound like we've got to live a perfect life? Why is it that it sounds like we've got to be the most righteous person or parrot in the world? Um, pure in heart, pure to the core. Better even, says Jesus, than the religious leaders. Surely that's impossible. But to understand what Jesus is trying to get at here, it's helpful, I think, to understand another key scripture in the, in the Sermon on the Mount that's right at the center in Matthew 5, verse 48. Another seemingly impossible verse, which in the NIV says, uh, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Again, it sounds impossible. But perhaps this is an unhelpful translation because the word for perfect there in the Greek is this word teleos, and teleos is a genuinely tricky word to interpret or translate into one English word because it, has, it covers a lot of different words. So in the, uh, if you think about the Old Testament, originally written in Hebrew, um, uh, second or third century BC, it was translated into a Greek version of the Old Testament known as the Septuagint because of the 70 Jewish scholars that put it together. 
Now, in the Old Testament Greek, the word teleos is used to translate a number of different Hebrew words. So it, has, it fills out the meaning, if you like. There's, a, there's quite a wide sense of what this word is. So one of the words it's used for is the Hebrew word tamim. And that means something that is complete, uh, something that uh, uh, has integrity about it, uh, something that um, the whole of something. So if something's sound in the sense of it can be trusted, um, it's without blemish, all of that, that is in there. There's a, there's a kind of completeness to this word. But also it's used to translate sometimes the word shalom, uh, which we might be familiar with. Or it's version shalem, which is about peace. It's about harmony. It's about the whole of life flourishing. It includes our, our, our welfare in life. It includes resolved relationships in life. So everything, whether it be physical, financial, spiritual, relational, these are both words that have a wholeness to them um, in how we understand them, a completeness to them. But the translation that we have of perfect in English usually implies to us a kind of moral perfection, an absolute purity, even a sinlessness. And we just think, well, that is an impossible situation. But the context of the time, it didn't quite mean what we think of it, think of it as. It really means to be undivided, to be complete, to be wholehearted in our devotion to God, to have that singular focus on God with our lives, integrity within and without. And in the Bible, these words were always used in the context of the covenant relationships that we, as we've sung about this morning, that we have this, this unconditional, this, this uh, relationship with God, um, or conditional in the Old Testament, unconditional in the New Testament. And even, it's, therefore, it's about our commitment to a person, an undivided, a whole, a pure commitment to someone. Uh, even the word holy, often we think of that as just like a kind of holy jewel, you know, somebody who just does the right thing. Um, and although it is about moral purity, the word holy means to be set apart. You know, even the utensils in the temple were holy, not because they did anything, but because they were set apart for particular use in the temple. And uh, so it is with our lives. Um, the, the, the purity of our lives comes from being fully devoted to God, wholly and completely focused on Him. Um, so we're not just separated from things in the world, but we're separated to someone. We're set apart for his use in our lives. So King Solomon in 1 Kings 8.61 calls the people to be teleos. He calls them to be perfect. Let your heart be perfect, he says, which he means by being fully committed to this God. Be singular in your devotion to him. And a few uh, chapters later in uh, chapter 11 verse 4, it says his heart was not fully devoted. It was not fully teleos um, to the Lord, his God, as David's had been. Um, he's lost his way, in a sense. Um, we see uh, in a, an idiom in uh, Psalm 12, verse 2, where it talks about people having a heart and a heart, or being double-hearted. Sometimes we have a phrase like being two-faced, which is quite a strong phrase in our language, but you get the sense of it. It's like somebody who says one thing, but is, is someone else. He, he lies to his neighbor, if you like. He lacks integrity. His lips, what he says with his lips, is different from his heart. And so the, end, the New International Version um, translates uh, Psalm 12 as, it says they harbor deception in their hearts. Okay? It's, it's a heart and a heart. It's double. It's divided in that. It's not integrity. 
And uh, everyday issues, often we, we find that in, in our lives, where the, the face we portray maybe on social media is one, but actually it's not the true of what we're really like. We, we want people to see what we want them to see about us, rather than having that integrity. So there's all of that mixed up within it. Um, but actually this phrase, this, this word, is about a heart righteousness. It's about a heart towards God. And out of that heart and out of that devotion towards God then flows the life that comes as a result. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And Jesus is continually uh, criticizing or challenging the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, for being hypocrites. And we tend to use the word hypocrisy, where perhaps uh, you know, a pastor uh, preaches all the time on marital faithfulness, but then serially commits adultery. You know, says the right thing, does the wrong thing. But the Pharisees are hypocrites in a slightly different way, because their, their hearts and actions, again, are not unified. They don't match. So actually, for the Pharisees, often they do the right thing. You know, they do all sorts of really good things. Uh, in, in society and what it would seem like. But Jesus says they're, they're the wrong kind of people. Their hearts are wrong. They're not doing it for the right reasons. They're doing it for their show rather than for what it should really be for. Before. They, they lack that inner virtue that is there. So maybe like giving somebody some flowers because it's on a list must do rather than because you actually care for someone. We've never ever done that in our lives. Okay. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Matthew 23, again, Jesus challenges the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, woe to you, and the, the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup or the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. There's a disconnect here from their outer life and their inner life. Their actions and their hearts don't match. They're divided. They're not whole. And this beatitude is about having pure hearts. It's about having clean hearts. It's about having undivided hearts. I love the way that the message uh, paraphrases this. He says, you know, you're blessed when you get your inside world, mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Okay, it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You're, you're, when you get it right on the inside, then you start to see God in the outside. For many, there's a well-known story um, or the parable that Jesus tells of the father with two sons, the, the younger son and the older brother. And it's, it might be familiar, it may not be, but basically what happens here is the younger son wants his inheritance. He wants it early and he wants, and he off he goes, he leaves home and he squanders it all on wild living, while the older brother stays at home and follows what he thinks are the household rules. And the younger son goes off and he lives this life of license. He basically goes and does what he wants. He gives his purity away to the wrong people and he seeks instant gratification um, in every area of life. That's the, the younger one. Whereas the older brother, he lives a life of legalism. He follows the rules. He stays at home. Um, he does all the right things behavior, behaviorally. I can't even say that word. But he does it at the cost of truly loving and of truly living. It's not here in his heart. Uh, one commentator says, he turns his home into a place of rule following without love and without celebration. Now here's the thing, both of these lads have got heart issues that stop them seeing what God is really like. Neither of them get what their father 
is really like. They don't see that he loves them unconditionally. They don't see his self-giving, uh, full of grace, full of mercy, you know, always there, loving them as deep as could be loved. They don't see it, neither of them. Both of their hearts need healing. For the youngest son, his heart can only be healed when he receives and accepts his father's forgiveness. And for the, the older son, he can only be healed when he lets go of his pride and of his judgment and his misunderstanding of what it really means to be a son. He's full of envy, he's full of judgment of his brother's return and even of how he, his father responds to him. He just can't handle it. When actually it should be love that is the sole motive in that situation. But because he, he, his actions effectively betray that it's not there in his heart, he doesn't have love. And while their hearts are wrong, they can't see what their father's like. They don't get it. They can't see God. When their hearts are right, then their eyes are opened and they can. Although in this story, as far as we, Jesus takes it, it's only the younger one who gets to that point and starts to understand what his father's really like. Uh, back in the first century, um, the, the Jewish rabbis apparently used to have over 600 purity laws. And every rabbi, there was a variety of them, would have a different, slightly different interpretation, uh, slightly different way of interpreting, of, of uh, applying them into people's lives. And, uh, and they, you know, people followed them as their, their, their students. And it was their, known as their yoke, okay, Y-O-K-E. So I'm talking about oxen, not eggs. Okay? But their yoke, the yoke of the rabbi, it was called. So what is their yoke? What is their flavor? What is their style? In that. And if you wanted to be a disciple of a certain teacher, a certain rabbi, then you had to meet that person's standard. You had to put on their yoke. And if you couldn't live up to that interpretation of the purity codes, or if you weren't seen doing the right things, then you couldn't follow the rabbi. You know, you're fired, as Rabbi Sugar would say. Okay? The outside was everything. The show had to be good. And in fact, the term sinners in the New Testament very often refers to people uh, who just can't do it right. They keep getting it wrong. And sometimes it's even because they can't afford to pay the temple taxes or whatever it is because of their poverty, and so they, they're kept out of the whole thing altogether, and they can't fulfill the purity laws. And there's, there's that bit of the Pharisee in all of us where we think we've got it right, and actually we do. We, we have the older brother mentality. We, we, we want to do the right thing, but actually it's not coming out of real love in our hearts and a real heart virtue, if you like. So we have that. And on the other hand, Jesus comes along, our rabbi, our teacher, and what does he say in Matthew 11, just a few chapters later? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay? He has a different way of approaching things. And so the key to this blessedness the blessedness of this beatitude that we can experience, the key to seeing God, the key to getting it is purity of heart. It is an undivided devotion to God. Um, it's an inner attitude towards God and towards others that then flows out in our behavior uh, around. This teleos heart righteousness. And you see it all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, Matthew 5 just gives you example after example of what that heart righteousness looks like. Let your yes be yes. What it is about relationships, what it is about this. Love your enemies, 
You know, it's something that he's writing here. Lots of worked examples there. Chapter 6 goes on and talks about treasure. Uh, talks about our money. And I want to use that as a worked example for our own lives because it just gets to uh, how we respond and how we react. But it actually applies to every single area of life. So here's the worked example. Jesus says, where your money is, there your heart is. There your heart is. If your heart is for the kingdom transformation of our neighborhoods and of our city through the local church and the world, then, then that's where we should invest our treasure. He says, you can't serve two masters, um, says Jesus. You can't serve both God and mammon. You know, if your heart is divided, you won't see God. You won't get it. You won't get what this treasure in heaven is all about. You'll miss out on the blessing. So there's two guys in a church. Uh, the pastor's preaching. It's a good balanced teaching kind of program that they have. You know, they talk about people living within their means. They talk about dealing with debt and, and all of that. But this is the talk on giving. Jack hates this talk, right? But there's another guy, Joe, who loves this talk. So Jack, he hates it because he's got some plans. He's got some financial plans for life. He wants to get from A to B. And he knows, he's looked down, he's at all the things, you know, he's got Christmas coming up, he's got holidays to plan, um, he's got a mortgage to pay and the rent to pay or whatever, um, he's got his kids to get through university, he's got all sorts of stuff that he's planned. And he's done the maths, he's done the spreadsheets, and he's, he's worked out it takes 100%, at least 100%, possibly more, but it takes 100% for him to get to A to B. Um, he's run the numbers, and he's absolutely convinced. It doesn't matter what God says. doesn't matter what God promises. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. Um, as far as the maths go, that doesn't stack up, so that's, that's his plan. You know, in worship, he, he loves singing the songs that we love singing. You know, I love you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I depend on you, Lord. I surrender all, Lord, except, except this bit of my life or except that bit of my life. He has a divided heart. And the row behind Jack is a guy called Joe. And uh, Joe has the same goals. He also wants to get from A to B. But Joe's heart isn't divided. He's serving God first, not mammon. And he believes that God's words are true. And he believes God's promises that he'll provide. And he believes that the Holy Spirit is powerful and that a pure heart devotion is important and matters in his life. So Joe decides he's going to trust getting from A to B with 90%, or it could be even less. And, uh, and he's going to give God and, uh, and his purposes at least the first kind of 10% of what he gets. That's what he's decided in himself. And Joel believes that God will get him from A to B on 90%. But he also believes that God will get him to C. And C is the place where supernatural things happen. C is where he's going to see God move in extraordinary ways. And in fact, it's not just over there. It's actually all the way through between A and B as well. Because he trusts God. He might see God's supernatural provision. He might buy a washing machine that lasts forever. I don't know how it's going to happen. He might find an unbelievable opportunity that comes his way that he would never have dreamt of because he started to trust God with the whole of his life. Interestingly, the other time that this word teleos, this word perfect, is used in Matthew's gospel is, um, is with the uh, rich young man when Jesus is approached by him. And he says, you know, which, what commands should I follow? And he says, well, tell me which ones you know. He says, well, they're all good. And he says, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be teleos, 
one more thing you must do. Sell all your possessions, give to the poor. And uh, basically, it's about a heart trust. It's about a heart trust with practical action, which in his case and in that situation is a generous spirit. But coming back to the two guys, here's the thing. Joe thinks Jack is an idiot. And Jack thinks Joe is an idiot. Jack can't believe that Joe's falling for this. I've done the maths, mate. I've run the numbers. You know, you can't believe you're injecting faith into numbers. You're, you're an idiot. And Joe's going, oh, Jack. He said, you might get from A to B. In fact, I hope you do get from A to B. But on your own? You know, you, you're never going to have God's supernatural activity in your finances. Um, are you just going to say it's the maths and you're going to let mammon have his way? And to be honest, he can't always be trusted. I mean, it's a shaky world we live in. And you're going to do all that on your own? Not fully devoted to God? Can't, can't you see the treasure in heaven bit? Are you blind to that? You're an idiot. They both think the other one is an idiot. And the challenge is, which idiot do you want to be? Okay? Do you want to be a Jack kind of idiot? Or do you want to be a Joe kind of idiot? Jack's, Jack's way is actually quite a lonely way. Joe's way is an adventure. It's faith-filled and it is hope-filled. And as a result of it, the food bank gets filled and poor people eat. And the church makes a difference and heaven gets populated because of that. And when it comes to our treasure, and it's only one area of our lives, but are we wholehearted? Or are we divided? Are we trying to serve two masters, challenges Jesus? Or are we pure-hearted in a way which means we will see God in a whole different way? And he goes on, Jesus, in the next little bit of the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about the eye as the lamp of the body, Matthew 6, 22. And he says, if you've got healthy eyes, you're connected with the lights, you'll see. Okay? And by healthy, he means sound, he means whole, he means, literally, it means undivided. Okay, it's not divided, it's, it's fixed on God. You're connected to the light if your eyes are healthy. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if they're unsound, if they're diseased, if they're greedy, if they're envious, if they're uncaring, um, we're connected with the darkness. And the two sons, the youngest son, moved from seeing the world through unhealthy eyes to a place where he realizes he's wrong, he turns his heart around, and he starts to see the world through healthy eyes. And what does he see? He sees who his father really is, this incredible, loving God. But the, the other son doesn't. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A divided, split heart, I think, causes a lot of the anxieties we experience in our world. You know, a lot of the, the confliction we experience, a lot of the anxiety and stress people come up against is because our inner life doesn't match our outer life. Um, and inevitably, that leads to much of the anxiety that we experience. And the solution is to trust God, our Heavenly Father, to have that whole heart, that life of integrity. When the inside world is put right with God, then you can see God in the outside world in remarkable ways, and we live differently as a result. Let's pray together. Maybe the bands could come up as well. Let's just settle our hearts before God and as we've prayed really this morning already, just afresh and again, Lord, search our hearts this morning.
If this is really all about my heart, Lord, I, I pray, search my heart. It may be that this morning that he shows you that there is or has shown you that there is forgiveness that you need to receive for some aspect of your life. There's some, some bit that has been divided, some bit that has not been devoted to God, then you need to ask his forgiveness. It may be judgmental attitudes, the way that you judge others in some way to, to release that, that pride of heart. Or it may be an area of life where you think, I've not, I've not given that part of my life to God yet. I've sung the songs, but that part of my life I'm still holding on to. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak into each of our hearts and lives. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would heal each part of our lives. Heal our hearts, Lord, so that we can see you. In Jesus' name. Amen.